Somebody says, how many fingers you're holding up? I usually answer Thursday. It's my stock answer. So we are in Matthew 24, working our way through uh, the Olivet Discourse, Jesus answering the question of his disciples, what will be the signs of my coming? We've covered a lot of signs. Jesus is throwing out all kinds of information here, all kinds of end times, insight, eschatological things, tying in Old Testament scriptures. Uh, We've learned a lot uh, so far, but we're going to continue here in verses 36 through 44 tonight of Matthew 24. So if if you're in Matthew 24, get your finger around 36. We're going to thank God for the word and jump right in. Father, we thank you tonight for the word. We thank you tonight for your goodness and your merciful attitude towards us at all times. You're so patient with us, God. You were patient with your disciples and you explained to them things that you knew they wouldn't understand. But God, you took the time to lay these things out, not just for them, but for us, so that in these days we can understand the signs of the times, we can look for the hope of your coming, and we can understand what the scripture says so that we would not be confused or deceived. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, open up the word to us tonight and allow it to take root in our hearts. Let it get past our minds and our thought process into our hearts and into our spirit so that we can live the word, so that what we learn today on Wednesday, we can live today, tomorrow on Thursday. And I ask that in Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 24, starting in verse 36. But of that day and hour, say day, say hour. No one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the the son of man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will be the coming of the son of man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Powerful words from Jesus, sobering words, and a lot to unpack, so let's jump right in. These nine verses that we're covering tonight deal with the timing of Jesus' return. We learned what the signs were. Uh, we're knowing that when the, uh, the day gets close that these signs will increase in tempo. They'll be happening at a rapid pace. They'll be overlapping each other. There'll be famines. There'll be wars. There'll be rumors of wars. There'll be, you know, signs in the earth and the moon and the stars. There's going to be uh, all kinds of issues with the oceans and the earth. And creation will be responding to the return of the creator. And these things are going to ramp up in such a way that, you know, I'm sure they're going to try and blame it on global warming, but it's going to be that Jesus is coming. And he prepared us for this, and 
you know, that generation that sees him come, it could be our generation, it may not, but these are the signs. So these nine verses now deal with the exact timing of his coming. Now remember, scripture shows Christ's return will take place in two parts. And, and we say, well, you know, we're looking for the return of the Lord, the coming of Jesus, the second coming. Well, that's going to happen in two parts. There's number one, the surprise, catching away of the church as described here in this passage. And so there are many other passages that describe this surprise coming. Jesus comes. He doesn't come all the way to earth. He's in the clouds, the trump of the ark angel sounds and what we're caught up to be with Jesus amen that's where he takes the church off the earth to take his bride home with him to the marriage supper of the lamb and then the second part of his coming is the visible return to Christ one's a surprise in the sense that no one's going to see it it's only for the saved the second time he returns to the mount of olives it will be visible every eye will see it it'll be on every cable news channel everybody's going to know about it as lightning flashes from the east to the west Jesus said so there'll be no hiding the second part of his return he will come to the mount of olives he will end the tribulation period he will deal with the antichrist beast and he'll begin his millennial reign. So there are two parts to the coming. Now, unless you understand these two stages of the second coming, a lot of the texts in the New Testament are going to be confusing and contradictory. Why? Because they're describing two events. And people who don't understand this, they get to pound in the theological square peg in the round hole and they try and make everything fit and still it just causes confusion. So understand, two parts to his coming. One, he takes his bride. Two, he comes back to earth and he straightens out everything. He's going to rule with a rod of iron over the nations. How many are looking forward to Jesus straightening out all the crooked things, amen? I'm looking forward to that. Sometimes I look at our world and I look at our governments and I look at the nations and I'm like, come quickly, Lord, because th this one, we, I don't know, you can't fix this with a can of Fix-A-Flat at this point. We need some divine assistance. And so understand the two parts of his coming. Now, we know he's coming for us, but we don't know exactly when that will be. Now, to all you control freaks, this is an issue. <laughs> the scripture makes it clear that not only do I not know and you don't know, nobody knows. And, and you know, as we unpack this here, this should really stick in us because the first time we hear somebody say, Jesus is coming back on such and such a date at such and such a time, no, absolutely not. It's automatically wrong. I don't care what they studied and, and, and what they heard and who appeared to them. The Bible says that nobody knows. It's not for us to know. And I uh, understand when you hear, and people have predicted the coming of Jesus Christ. He's coming back here. He's coming back then. I don't know how many times the Jehovah's Witnesses said he was coming back. And then the next day, they're like, uh, we got more light, and he's not coming. And all these people have been, there have been Christian people, Christian pastors, and they try to do this. And I wonder how they miss the text here that assures us that no one can know the day and the hour of his coming. Now, we can't know the day and the hour, and that's, you know, it's, it says it right here, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. No one knows the day or the hour, but we can know the season, and we can understand the season by the signs of the time. Are we in the last day season? Absolutely. Has it ratcheted up to the place where, you know, you, you know it's all going to explode? I'm not sure, but we need to be ready for his coming. And he's going to come, and we're going to see it's going to be a surprise, and everybody's going to be shocked. So 
we can know the season by discerning the signs that Jesus told us to look for all through Matthew 24. But verse 36 makes it crystal clear. Nobody knows the day and the hour. So anytime someone predicts it, you know, just immediately reject it. The Father has reserved for himself the knowledge of the exact timing when he'll send his son back to earth to establish his dominion on the earth. Why did the Father keep that all to himself? Look at that. You know, it's something that he kept from mankind. You know, does the Son know exactly when? Do the angels know? And the Scripture's telling us only the Father knows. And so it's kind of an interesting thing that God kept it all to himself. Why would he do that? Because some things just cannot be entrusted to those who are fallible and have wills of their own. As much as we like to think we're spiritual and we're self-controlled and we can keep a secret, how many, how many people know people who can't keep a secret? Come on. I mean, some people tell you, don't tell me I can't keep a secret. Have you ever seen these people? I mean, they know themselves. God bless them. But other people are like, yeah, tell me I can keep it. And then, man, they spread it faster than anything you've ever seen. But, you know, why is that? Because we're, we're fallible and we, uh, we like to talk and we, we like to share information and we have wills of our own. And so God chose not to share this particular information with anyone who had a will of their own, with anyone that was fallible. And you think, okay, well, I kind of get it with men, but what about the angels? You know, let's not forget get that the angels have a will of their own and a third of them fell with lucifer when he fell from heaven so angels have already proven and man has already proven that we can rebel against god and not you know not be trusted with certain things we shouldn't feel bad about this too bad because not even the angels can be trusted with this so you know it's something that we have to just leave in the hands of god and allow him to reserve for himself because he knows best. He knows exactly the right moment. He always knows the best time to visit us. He always knows the best time to intervene in our messes. He always knows the best time to pour grace. God's timing is perfect. From a human perspective, it doesn't often feel perfect. It feels like he's late or he shows up at the very last minute. When all your hair's fallen out and you've been so anxious and you, you, know, you can't take it anymore and you're coming unglued and then God shows up. And that's not an accident because when we come to the end of ourselves, we learn to trust him and rely on him. So men and angels have proven both to be willful and fallible and they are created beings. And the third of the angels rebelled against God and were cast out of heaven. So men can't be trusted with certain things. The purpose and the timing of God is reserved for God alone. Angels can't be trusted with certain things. Why? Because they have a will of their own. And they've already proven they can rebel against God. Even in his presence. You know, it's amazing to me. The angels are different than mankind in that they have a level of knowledge that we don't have. They knew exactly what they were doing when they rebelled against God, which shows you how deceptive Lucifer is, how deceptive Satan is, that he can even fool these elite spiritual beings who had full knowledge, and he tricked them anyway, and they fell with him, becoming demons. Interesting, but 
It makes us understand why we can't know certain things. You know, and you, you know, you might think the kingdom of God is coming to earth and only the Father knows the exact timing. And we can, you know, discern the season. We can see the signs of the times. Now, the angels don't know, the devil doesn't know, and the demons don't know, but this is what the kingdom of our darkness does know. They know that their time is short. Let me say that again Wednesday night. The kingdom of darkness knows that its time is short. And if you don't think that's true, I want you to think about in the last few years how the demonic attack on our culture, on our society, on our children, on our school systems, on everything has ramped up to the point where it's way past insanity. Come on, it's way past insanity. We can't even agree on gender anymore. We can't agree on everything biblical has to go. They've got to ram things down our kids' throats without us knowing it. Why is that? Is it just that, you know, well, you know, it's liberals or it's Democrats or it's, you know, it's, it's the West. The West is crazy. No, it's because the kingdom of darkness knows that its time is short. And I want you to get this tonight. It's the times that we live in. You know, can we make a correction? Can we turn things back? Will God give us grace? Will there be revival? We should be praying for all those things. But we should also be discerning that the darkness is raging because it knows that its time is short. Well, before we dig through the next verses here, I want to look at the implications of verse 37. It says this, but as the days of Noah, say Noah, you remember Noah, that guy with the ark and the animals and two by two and the rain and the doves and the olive branch. What a story. And the vineyard and the drunkenness, it goes on and on. Poor Noah. But as the days of Noah were, listen, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. So Jesus gave us all these signs. He says we can't know the day and the hour. Uh, and, and then he, he basically throws us a little bit more detail here. He's saying, oh, but if you want another sign that you can look for, when, when the days are like the days of Noah, that's what it's going to be like when I come back. Now, let's explore that a little bit. In the days of Noah, mankind was warned over and over again about the impending judgment of God, and you know what? They laughed it off, and they mocked at it, and they walked past it every day as Noah built that ark. You know, the ark wasn't built by a union. The Teamsters didn't come in. The, the ark, it was a slow process. So this thing took a long time to build, and you know everybody saw it. Everybody had something to say. Everybody laughed at him, and so, you know, here's Noah, and he's trying to testify to his generation. God gives him a mission to do, and God's saying, when the generation resembles Noah's generation, you know what, that's a sign of my coming, and they were just, you know, they were laughing, they were mocking, they were ignoring the things of God. Is our generation at that place? Check. We're there. 
Verse 38 describes some of the very ordinary things that men were doing before the flood came. They were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. So those details kind of show us the mood of the culture at that time. The implications of verse 38 is this, that it was normal times. They're doing normal things. They weren't in famine. They weren't starving. They weren't, you know, trying to scratch food out of the dirt. No, they're eating. They're drinking. They're, you know, they're marrying and giving in marriage. So what's being shown here is that the times that they live in were normal times. They were good times. When there's plenty to eat and plenty to drink and people are getting married, that's a sign that times were good. And these guys are basically living it up. They're, they're normal. They're good. They're prosperous times. And the people were just living their lives, ignoring God. Is our generation there? Check. It's sobering to think about how little the nations fear the Lord. You know, you can look at Noah's generation, like, what's with those people? Were they crazy? No, but when you look around at our own culture, at the world we live in now, it's sobering to think that the nations don't fear the Lord. You see these wars and these rumors of wars. I don't know. It's not in the news cycle anymore, but are you realizing that tens of thousands of Russians and Ukrainians that are dying every day? And we don't realize because it's out of the news cycle. It's not news anymore. But if you think about the, the, the suffering and the pain and with every loss of life, there's a family shattered and a mother shattered and a wife shattered and kids that are now fatherless. The, the pain and the misery and the wickedness of what's going on in the earth today shows that these nations don't fear the Lord. There's men pulling the strings and, and making the decisions here that have no fear of God. Because they're going to answer for every drop of blood that was shed over their wickedness and their greed and their selfishness. We should think that all of us will stand before the Lord in judgment someday, but the people of our generation are arrogant and they pursue the treasures and the pleasures of this morally bankrupt world with no concern for the impending judgment that awaits. Wow. God have mercy on them. The world is partying and a flood is coming. Noah's generation was living it up, living life. And a flood was coming. Our generation is ignoring God and a flood is coming. Some of our churches are ignoring what's going on and a flood is coming. Let's pray that in God's judgment, he remembers mercy. That we would yield to the leading of the Holy Spirit as believers and prepare our own souls to meet our maker. Are you prepared to meet him in the air? Are you prepared to leave this place tomorrow and meet Jesus in the air when that trump sounds? Are you ready to stand before him? Are you ready to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant? That generation wasn't, and our generation isn't, and we need to pray that God would do some miracles in our culture because there's too many people who are not met ready to meet the Lord. There is a flood coming. Now, in verse 39, it's kind of interesting uh, what's said of Noah's generation here, and I want to read it to you. It says, And they did not know until the flood came and took them all away. 
so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. So, you know, that, that part there where they didn't know until the flood came. Now, I know somebody uh, who, if they read that, they would be irritated. And his name is Noah. I'll wait for the slow people to catch up. Noah would be straight. Uh, look, I'm a preacher. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. 120 years he lived, amen. Some think he preached to his generation for 100 years. And the result of him preaching and, and, and warning and building this monstrous ark for a long period of time so that everyone could see the, in the final analysis, the, the Bible says that the people didn't know. And as Noah, I would be like, what do you mean they didn't know? I told them for 100 years. What do you mean they didn't know? I built the ark in front of them. I told them. I warned them. And still, the, the, in the final analysis, the record shows that they didn't know. Now, I find that interesting. May I suggest to you this, that in our high-tech, social media-driven world that we live in, where there's millions of churches and preachers and evangelists, there's gospel radio and TV programs, there's movies about Christian themes, and there's memes and podcasts, and they're all available 24 hours a day, seven days a week for spiritual enlightenment and enrichment to produce salvation. Listen, with all that, if people don't know at this point, it's because they don't want to know. And that was exactly what was happening in Noah's generation. They could have found out. They could have repented. They could have asked and inquired instead of laughing at this guy and mocking him and, and just getting hard-hearted towards God. Instead of just partying and living the dream and having fun and drinking and eating and marrying and all of that stuff, they could have humbled themselves and repented. But they didn't. And our generation could humble itself and repent, and I pray that it does. Our churches need to humble themselves and repent. Amen. If you're not here on Sundays, I'm preaching a series on repentance, and we're in a time of consecration, and that means different things to all of us as we approach the Lord, but, you know, it's a season for us to get close to God and strip away the entanglements of the world. And Noah's generation refused to do that. And even though, you know, the guy lives 120 years and serves the Lord, he, he, he has the, the biggest billboard you ever seen, this ark, and still they did not know. And they didn't know because they didn't want to know. The gospel has to be preached to the whole world before Jesus can come back. That's what Scripture says. Now, with technology, that's getting done more rapidly than ever, and we may even be there already. There are people in Amazon villages that have cell phones that are playing Wordle right now. <laughs> and what? And like, they can't get the gospel? They can't understand? I mean, at some point, the generation's gonna be saturated and those who don't know, it's just because they don't wanna know. Jesus is coming back. We have to do our part, but we need to pray for the harvest and be useful in God's hands, amen? Amen. So verse 40 through 41, we move on here. Uh, again, it's re in reinforcing the surprise nature of the first part of Jesus' return. Listen to 40 and 41. It's describing the rapture of the church. This does not describe the second coming where he returns visibly and everyone sees and he touches down in the Middle East. No, he's describing right here, Jesus is describing the, the catching away of the church. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. 
Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Do you hear this? It's very easy to get the understanding that there's a separation of the people of God and the people of the world. The people of God will be taken. The others will be left. You know, I... I wonder what the explanation is going to be. You know, you can already see the governments and the worldly systems and the Antichrist spirit setting things up. It's going to be aliens. It's going to be, I've heard this thing about social evolution, that it's going to take all the, 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 the narrow-minded Christian conservative people are just going to disappear so they can have a better world. I've heard some crazy stuff. And you say, what's that all about? They're precursors, they're fabrications and explanations to explain away the rapture, but God will get his point across. One will be taken and the other will be left. One will be you know, caught up and the other will be left. And it shows this separation of the righteous and the unrighteous, the sheep and the goats. And God gathers his church up, his bride, and he takes us uh, to be forever with him and to eat with him and sup with him and to know him. What, a, what an amazing moment for the church. Some taken and some left. So this isn't Jesus' visible return. No, this is his secret surprise return where he just doesn't touch down on earth, but he's in the atmospheric heavens and the trump sounds, and boom, I'll fly away. <laughs> First Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. Write that scripture down. First Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17 also describes this event. Listen to another description of it. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. Here we go. With the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Amen. That's good news. You know, that last little part, forever we're going to be with the Lord. You know, when you love somebody, being apart from them makes your heart ache. I know sometimes when Kim's away from me for a few hours shopping, she has to call me because her heart is aching. Because <laughs> she forgot her grocery list. But. but I remember when we were dating and we were apart, how my heart would ache. Just because you want to be with that person you love. And our heart should ache for Jesus like that. And the good news is this, when he comes to get us, he's going to get us, and he's never going to let us go again. Forever, we're going to be with the Lord. Amen. Woo! So verse 42 through 44 uh, gives us this sense of watchfulness and readiness, and, and it's commanded to us. It says, watch therefore, for you do not know the hour your Lord is coming. Um, 43, we're going to unpack that a little bit here, but... You know, this idea of watchfulness and readiness, we're going to see this theme woven through all the parables of Matthew 25 when we get there. And, you know, it's something that is so ingrained in these parables that we have to walk away, you know, with this sense that I need to be ready. I need to have my spiritual self in order. I need to have my eyes looking for his coming. And I need to let the encumbrances of the world fall away from me. You know, it would be hilarious seeing some people get raptured trying to take all the stuff that they made idols out of on earth. Maybe it isn't funny. <laughs> Got really quiet. She draw a picture of it, some guy trying to fly through the air with, you know, all the, your golf clubs and your TV and all this stuff, and it's just like, let it go. 
Let it go. It's just entanglements. But this watchfulness and this readiness, it's commanded of us. You know, two men in a field, one's taken, one's left. Well, you know, uh, we need to be watching and we need to be looking for his coming because that's what makes us ready for his coming. Now, we need to make a conscious effort to focus on spiritual things because if we don't, we'll default to the natural setting of our flesh. All of us will, no matter how spiritual you are. If you, because why? Because it takes, it takes some spiritual discern, like discipline and stamina to stay focused. How many are easily distracted? Yeah, some of us, I'm putting up two hands. Yeah, easily distracted. And I mean, you could get off on these little, you know, rabbit trails and off on these little tangents and stuff. And before you know it, you, you know, you're off course. And this, this watchfulness and this readiness, it's a matter of focus, us focusing on spiritual things that we, we do the things that keep us spiritually sharp, that we're praying, that we're reading God's word, that we're, you know, we're sitting in church getting the word of God. We're in worship, just allowing the Holy Spirit to, to untangle the knots that get in our soul. Uh, all of these things, these spiritual disciplines that keep us sharp, we've got to purpose to do them because there's a lot of distractions in this world. And we need to minimize those distractions. Verse 43 uses the illustration of a homeowner who knows exactly the time the thief is coming to rob the house. You know, wouldn't that be surreal? You know, you get a phone call, hello, I'm the neighborhood thief. On Tuesday at 11.30, I'm going to be there in your garage stealing your stuff. Just wanted to let you know. I mean, that's absurd. But it's trying to make a point here that if the homeowner knew when the thief was coming, they would be ready for him and they wouldn't get robbed. And this is not the case with Jesus' return. Why? Because Jesus didn't tell us the day or the hour, so we can't know exactly when. So instead of just being lazy up until, you know, the point where he's coming, we have to stay spiritually sharp the entire time. How many understand he did that on purpose? Because he knows human nature. Because he knows me and Pastor Mike. <laughs> you know, it's like because we, we would just, you know, kick our shoes off. We'd relax. We'd take it easy. Ah, the Lord's not coming for another two weeks. <laughs> it's like when your parents, you know, leave your home for the first time and they go on vacation, you know, and they say, keep the house in order. Make sure it's clean in here. No parties, no friends. And what do you do? You wait till like the seventh day when the planes land and now you're going to clean up and patch the holes in the walls and dump all the garbage. human nature and God knows it he understands it and he doesn't bucket or deny it he works with us because that's the way we are verse 44 tells us that his coming will be a total surprise therefore you also be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect now I find that interesting there I get it we don't know the day we don't know the hour we can discern the season by the signs of the times but we don't know exactly when. So, you know, he flat out says here, I'm coming at an hour you do not expect. You know, anybody let their mind run wild on that to try and figure out what's the, what's the least, I mean, what's the time you least expect Jesus to return? Christmas Day, I don't know, uh, 4th of July, tax day. You know, when is it? The time when things are going good, when everything's fine, maybe when, you know, revival's breaking out or the tide seems to be turning. 
I know when it comes to Israel and Jacob's trouble, the Bible says when they say peace, peace, then comes destruction. So, you know, this is worth thinking about, worth exploring. Uh, someone, someone who has discernment may be able to hone in a little more on the exact timing. I know a lot of people think it's in accordance to the Feast of Israel, and there's uh, some indication that that's true. But he says, I'm coming at an hour you do not expect. So regardless of when he comes, we're going to be surprised. But in a twinkling of an eye, boom, we're going to be caught up to be with him. Amen. We got to live ready. We got to stay ready. We've got to keep our eyes on Jesus. And we've got to help everyone who's not ready to get ready. And that means boldly sharing the gospel. We've got our Easter production coming up Friday and Saturday. I encourage you to get tickets. Invite your friends, your enemies, your neighbors, your family, your in-laws, your outlaws, everybody. Whoever needs to be here, grab a ticket, be an evangelist, be bold, share your faith with somebody because Jesus could come back at any minute and some people aren't ready. We got to make sure we're ready. But then once we are, we've got to labor in the field to get everyone else who's not ready, ready. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, I just thank you tonight for Matthew 24 and all the treasures that you've hidden in here for us as we dig through and allow the Holy Spirit to open them up for us. Father, I pray that we would have a sense of expectancy and a, and a sense of readiness in our lives. Lord, we're going to hear that theme over and over again. Father, let us hear it and respond to it and order our lives in such a way uh, to change maybe some of the things we do and the, the way we spend our time and our days. Father, work that into us. Give us a sense of urgency. I'm praying, Lord God, that not only would we be ready to meet you, that we would be useful in your hands in getting others ready to meet you. Father, I'm praying for uh, this weekend here, this Friday and this Saturday here at Full Gospel Center. Father, fill this place with your glory. Fill this place with the lost. Father, we don't want Christians coming in to be entertained. We want lost people who need salvation. Father, we pray that miraculously you would flood this place with the right people who are ripe for the gospel and that you would bring many souls in the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Give him praise tonight.